things we ask and thank you for in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, before I get started this morning, I just want to say, Pan Am. We got, we got, we got, we got so close. We did it. I was right there with you the whole time, kind of. But guys, we almost pulled this out. I mean, you gotta love junior high camp. It's never over till it's over. Even now, are those standings official? Who knows? Actually, they are because you've given out medals, but you, you get the idea here. So, hey, it has been so fun uh, to be with you guys this week, uh, to be looking at God's word with you. Uh, even just, you know, we just sang praise the name and, and how awesome has it been to just look at Exodus and think, man, when we think about God's name, it's not just a name. It's it's who he is. It's his character being revealed. So I hope this has been a blessing for you. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope that this story, this this story in Exodus that you've. I don't know, sort of known if you've grown up in church your whole life. Um, I hope you've seen it differently. And obviously, man, there's so much more here and so much more good things about God uh, that I've never seen before. So uh, my prayer for you is that you leave here encouraged and loving the Lord. Maybe some of you coming to know Christ for the first time. Uh, it's been a joy to get to be here. So let's go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 is where we are starting. And today I want to begin with a song. I want to begin with song. I'm not going to sing because that would be painful. Uh, but uh, but I want to start with a song. You know, it's Sunday morning. There's churches singing everywhere, and I want to read you lyrics to a song. This is a I don't know. You could give me your opinion of this song afterwards. So here it is. Here's this song that I found. It goes something like this. <clears throat> it goes, "Arise, children of the fatherland. Our day of glory has arrived." Against the bloody flag of tyranny is raised. The bloody flag is raised. Do you hear in the countryside the roar of the ferocious soldiers? They're coming right into your arms to cut the throats of your sons, your comrades. To arms, citizens, form your battalions. Let's march, let's march, that their impure blood should water our fields. Isn't that a nice song for a Sunday morning? Everyone feel good about that song? It's a great thing. All the guys are like, yeah, that sounds awesome, right? Uh, what do we do with that? What do, those lyrics don't mean much to you. Does anyone know what those lyrics are? Just curious. Do you know? Yeah. They're about war, but they're lyrics from a, they're lyrics from a song. A song that is sung uh, even this week. It has been sung in public settings by thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. No, it's not the song of Moses. We'll read that in Exodus 15. It is the English translation of the French national anthem. It's the national anthem that they sing even today. Yeah, they're singing about their impure bloods watering their fields. That's what they do. So this week, if you're a soccer fan and you watch Euro and you'll see France, I think, is going to play... Portugal next, or I might have that off. But anyway, you'll see all the players line up and sing that song just before the game because that's their national anthem. And they don't just sing it like the way I read it. They sing it with gusto and bravado. La Marseillaise. There we go. My French is eh, piquito. Uh, but, but that's what you have here is they're singing this song. It was a song written in the 1790s. It's a song of revolution. It's a song that was... Uh, 
outlawed uh, by emperors of France in the 1800s. Because again, it's a song of revolution rising up against leaders. It was their national anthem. It still is to today. Well, when we get to Exodus 15, what you have is the same sort of song. Not the same sort of song in regards to violence, but the same sort of songs in regards to national identity. You could call Exodus 15 the national anthem of Israel because it becomes the song they sing. They have a new identity. They are the people rescued out of Egypt. And they burst into song at the Red Sea. And Exodus 15 is the song that they sing. And I think it's a perfect capstone to our series. Let's see, after all that God has done, all we've learned about God in these five sermons, let's see how how Israel sings to God. So let's take a look. Exodus chapter 15. Let's look verses 1 through 21. And if you want to understand the God of the Exodus, you need to understand this song. So let's read it. 15 verse 1 says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to Yahweh and said, I will sing to Yahweh, for He is highly exalted. The horse and his rider He has hurled into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will extol Him. Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies He has cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers he has drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as a chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Yahweh. Until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Yahweh, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Yahweh, which your hands have established. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots. This isn't the song anymore. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea. And Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, 
took the tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. And thus reads God's very word. Let's pray as we go to our last time together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to do what is happening all over the world today on Sunday. To look at your word, to sing praise to you, to try to see you in your glory in your word and to be transformed by the truth you have shown us. Lord, I'm so glad for these students. They've been able to hear your word. I pray for one more time your help. Help us all to see your word clearly and to see you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, here we have this song, and it immediately, I'm sure, becomes a number one song in the nation of Israel. It becomes their new identity. Uh, it is a, it's a poetic song, and Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Hebrew poetry has themes. It has repeated words and phrases. You have a part A of a verse, and then part B takes part A and explains it further. And this, this song, it's, it's broken down really into three parts. Uh, you have verses 1 through 6 kind of become this dominion over Egypt. Verses 7 through 11 focus on dominion over Egypt some more. And then the last part, verses 12 to 17, is like dominion over the world. And then you have a conclusion that, that Yahweh, well, he shall reign forever and ever. Now, how should we think about this song? It's about 3,500 years later. This doesn't sound at all like the songs that you probably listen to today. Uh, you don't sing songs like this. And so what do we think about this? What's the tone behind it? What's a, it's a song of adoration. It's the song that after God has defeated Egypt, they are adoring him and praising him and delighting in him. It's a perfect capstone, like I said, to everything we've been learning about in these first four sermons, the first 13 chapters of Exodus. Student, like I've said, this, this series has been about knowing God. Not just knowing who God was then, knowing who God is today, and knowing who God will be 30, 40, 50, 1,000 years from now. It's about knowing who God is. And this song is about knowing God. And my hope is that you wouldn't leave here with the same view of God that you came here with, but a great view of God leads to great faith in God and great following after God. And so let's one more time, let's ask the question, what does this passage teach us about God? What does this song teach us about God? In order for us to learn that, I'm going I'm to divide this, uh, this sermon into three different parts. Three different parts. So let's first look at this. Let's look at the story before the song. The story before the song. In order to understand the song in chapter 15, we need to understand what happened in 14. And rather than me reading it uh, to you, uh, we'll just kind of do an overview of what happened there. Now, who can tell me what famous event happens in chapter 14? What's going on? Yeah, blue hat. What is it? Yeah, Moses parts the Red Sea. And that's a familiar story. We've seen this before. I think when I was a kid, even like Rugrats did their own like cartoon version. Of, uh, you know, baby Tommy as Moses parting the Red Sea. And yet here, I want you to see like, eh, the story isn't as familiar as you think. It's familiar, but there's some details that maybe you've missed. So let's take a look. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Let's just kind of walk through this. I'll, I'll kind of break this down into little scenes. So the first scene that I'll call this is the bait. There's, this, there's the bait that happens. So think about what just happened in chapter 13. 
God has killed the firstborn of, of uh, Egypt. He's rescued Israel. He's leading them through the wilderness in a pillar of uh, what by day? By day in a pillar of, go for it, orange? Cloud and everybody by night in a pillar of? Fire. Fire. Good. So he's leading the people through the wilderness. Right after just defeating uh, Egypt, everything feels good. And then take a look at verse 2, chapter 14, verse 2. It says that God spoke to Moses. Yahweh spoke to Moses, said, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp at Pihiroth. Hahiro, there we go, that's a fun Hebrew word, between Migdal and the sea. And you're like, I don't know where any of these places are. That's not matter. What matters is this. He tells them to what? He says, turn back. You think, wait a second, we're free. Why are we going backwards? Why are we backtracking here? That doesn't seem to make sense. They're going to camp by the Red Sea. In Hebrew, it's the Sea of Reeds, the exact location of this. Is, totally, is not totally known or sure today, but we know it's enough water to drown an army wherever this is. And he has them in camp. And you're thinking, why, why would you turn back here? Let me tell you what's going on here. Take a look at verse 3. Yahweh says, For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. In other words, here's what's going on. God is going to have them wander around in the desert and then have them start wandering back so that Pharaoh's scouts give an update to Pharaoh and Pharaoh goes, these people don't know what they're doing. They're totally lost. Let's go get them. So my daughter Chloe is three and a half years old and a few months ago she learned a game. It's a game that we all like. You can't play it with junior highs anymore. You're too quick. Go something like this. Up high. Down low. Too slow. That's right. It's a very complicated game. And then she laughs. She wants to do it again. And after the tenth time, I'm done. But she's just getting started. So we just, we, we move with that, right? It's, it's, as Admiral Akbar would say, it's a trap. And that's exactly what's happening here. God is like luring them. He's like, come get it. Come get it. He's, he's saying, I want you to wander around so the Egyptians go... Now we could get them back. We could totally get them back. Let's go get them back. And that is exactly what happened. So Pharaoh falls for it. That's sort of the second scene here. Verse 5 says, The king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart. They, they, they took the bait. They said, What is this that we've done that we have let Israel go from serving us? And so they say they've made a mistake. So they start getting their whole squad ready. And notice, Pharaoh's going to build up his army. Verse 6 it says, so he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. Remember, chariots are like the, uh, you know, in modern warfare it would be like jets. Israel didn't have chariots. And so for Egypt to have chariots, that meant, man, this is a stronger army than them. In fact, verse 7 says he took 600 select chariots, his best chariots, and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. In other words, they are going to bring their best shot. Pharaoh's bringing the best of his army. He's bringing all his troops. Uh, Verse 9 even says the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. They're not just getting a small troop. Pharaoh's unleashing his full fury on Israel to try to bring them back into bondage. Meanwhile, as this is happening, Israel's feeling good. 
They're feeling real good. It says it's in verse eight says they're going out boldly. It means they're probably strutting a little bit. They're feeling real nice about this. And so by the time you get to verse 10, there's some drama. Right, there's some drama. Read verse 10 and read it good. It says, as Pharaoh drew near. Now, now in Hebrew, the first word is Pharaoh. Here's how you got to think about verse 10. This is like when the bad guy shows up in the movies. And he shows up and the music gets epic and intense. That's what's happening here. It's just like this ominous figure in the distance. And then there's Pharaoh up on the sand. Pharaoh in the distance. And it says, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. They panic. They cry out to the Lord, it says. Right? They think they are going to die. In fact, look at verse 11. They say to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we said, basically? In other words, Moses, did you just think it would be better for us to die in the wild in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to kill us? This was a terrible, terrible idea. So that's the scene. Immediate panic. They think they're going to die now from Pharaoh. But notice Moses' response. Verse 13, Moses said, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of Yahweh, which He will accomplish for you today. Verse 14, he says, Yahweh will fight for you. And that's exactly what happens. Again, oftentimes in the movies, we give Moses a ton of credit. But this is God's final victory over Pharaoh. This is God's final defeat of the Egyptians. And we see it begin to unfold. Look at verse 19. This is familiar. You know this as the angel of God had been going before the camp. He went behind them. In other words, God divides the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. And then verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yahweh swept back, or sorry, swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Now we hear this and we've seen cartoons and we've seen Moana, you know, CGI water divided. You know, Moana, that wholesome story that teaches you to like, just like listen to ghosts and listen to your grandma and listen to your heart, just not your dad. And, uh, you know, we think like, oh yeah, that's cool. But, but friends, this happened. Like, this is real. This is God's power that God separated the waters to such a degree that the, the land wasn't even, like, wet. The land wasn't even muddy. It's dry land that appears. And we know the story. Israel goes through. And eventually, the Egyptians try to chase after them. And it says that God thwarts their plans. Verse 25 says, He caused the chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. We're not exactly sure how to interpret this if they're driving all over, if they get stuck. But God intervenes and slows down. And, and the Egyptians are the one who uh, recognize this. Second half of verse 25 says, They say, Let us flee from Israel, for Yahweh is fighting, uh, is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And what ends up happening? They try to flee back. The waters come over and Egypt is utterly destroyed. 
Verse 26. Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may come back over the Egyptians. 28. The waters returned over the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. Verse 30. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the land of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now think about this scene for a second. Again, let's get out of our time where we, you know, we can't be entertained unless it's a screen in our hand. So think about this scene. You're an Israelite. You've been in bondage for 400 years. Your grandpa was born, lived as a slave, and died. His grandpa was born, lived as a slave, and died. Life was brutal, no days off, no rest, and it's only because of the Egyptians. And now there you are, and the Egyptians are dead on the shore. That enemy is gone, completely obliterated, gone forever. What's your attitude going to be? It's it's celebration, right? It's freedom. It's new life, right? God has given them new life, a new identity. Uh, They are sort of, in a way, a new creation. And so as a result, Israel is so thrilled and overwhelmed that they begin singing. And they sing this song that we get to in Exodus 15. Now, when you get to Exodus 15, we've got to learn. I've said this a couple times. We've got to learn to read the Bible well. We've got to learn to read it with mood. So let me tell you one bad way to read Exodus 15. It would be bad to read it like a news report. News report. Any of your parents listen to like news radio in the car? Like KNX 1070 when there's no one listens to the radio anymore. It's Spotify. My parents do. So thank you, man. We're on the same team there. Pan M forever. Um, also, okay. Or so one bad, bad way to read this would be like to read like a news report. The other bad way to read Exodus 15 would be to read it like a theology book, like a list of attributes, just kind of cold and, you know, the Lord is a warrior. Right? That's the bad way. Let me tell you how to read it. Here's how to read Exodus 15. You need to read it. This pains me a little bit, but I'll help you. You need to read it like a Red Sox fan. Now, I, I don't like the Boston Red Sox. I'm a, I like the Dodgers. I like those Halos. Uh, even that minor league team down in San Diego does okay sometimes. But, but um, just kidding. All up, all up. Right? But you've got to read it like a Red Sox fan. Let me explain. Who's been to a baseball game before? Either a pro game or you're like Elsinore Storm. You know, you've, you've, gone, you've gone to games before, right? And, uh, and every time after the top of the seventh inning... And going into the bottom of the seventh inning, what do they do? They have everybody stand up. It's the seventh inning stretch. And in every baseball game, you sing what? Take me out to the ball game. Can you sing it in Norwegian? One day. One day you will know Norwegian enough. Good. Okay? But if you're at Fenway Park in Boston, as soon as take me out to the ball game is over, they put on another song. A song for some reason that young people still know. How many of you have heard of, uh, there's a singer named Neil Diamond, two kinds of people in the world, those who love Neil Diamond and those who don't. And Neil Diamond has a song called Sweet Caroline. You know how it goes. Hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching you, touching me, and then he goes, everybody goes, Sweet Caroline. Everyone goes, There we go. Good times never been so good. That's right. That's good. Those of you who don't know, learn from the public schoolers. And, uh, and 
right? Now imagine, that's like their theme, that's like their fight song. Okay? So imagine, it's the World Series, the Red Sox are up 16 to nothing, they're going to win, and that song comes on. And they're just, they're just six outs away from winning the World Series, right? They're not just going to sing the lyrics like this, right? They're going to sing it passionately and with gusto and with all of their heart, right? That's how Israel's singing this song. It's like when a college team's fight song comes on after a win. You know, UCLA's in the back, the eight clap comes on when UCLA wins, right? That's the idea. It's like they are just fired up about this. That's the mood as we get into Exodus chapter 15. That's the kind of uh, attitude. They have this energy because God has wiped the floor with Egypt. He has rescued the Israelites. And now they sing with some gusto. So let's jump in now. Let's take a point number two, the song. Let's look at the song itself. And the song is not a celebration of them. Israel is not singing, we've rocked this. Man, we are the champions. That is not at all what they're singing. Verse two, it's a song praising God. They say, Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God. I will extol Him. It's all a song of praise. If I, if I could summarize the attitude of the song with one word, it would be this. Adoration. Adoration. You should write that down. You can ask your neighbor if you need help spelling that. It's a song of adoring God. Can I just ask you, student, you know, what would be a right response this weekend to all of uh, who God is that we've seen? Amazement would be one of them. Being amazed at who God is, like, uh, maybe even being surprised, like, wow, I never knew this about God. But the right response is to adore Him. To say, Lord, there is no one like you. To delight in Him and rejoice in Him and celebrate Him. That's exactly what Israel does in this song. They adore him. And I would just ask is we're going to look at the ways that they adore him. We'll see four ways they adore him in this song. As we look at it, I would just ask you, do you adore him? You know, think about this. Seeing God's work should lead to adoring God. Seeing who he is should lead to adoring him. And so my question would just be is if you are not someone who adores him, delights in him, treasures him, then have you really seen him? Let's, let's take a look at these reasons together. Four reasons to adore the Lord. Four reasons Israel adores him and we could adore him the same. Number one is this, adore Yahweh, the warrior. Adore Yahweh, the warrior. All throughout this song, they are celebrating God's victory. Verse 3 says, Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. One author said like this, In these chapters, Yahweh is revealed as a warrior who smashes his enemies with ease. Right? It says verse 4 and 5 that he drowns them in the sea. Verse 6, Your right hand, O Yahweh, shatters the enemy. It's not just that he's powerful. He's powerful to defeat those who fight against his people. It is Yahweh who does this. He does it, verse 7, in His majesty, in the greatness of your excellence. You overthrow those who rise up against you. And it's not just that He he did this from a distance. He did it personally. Verse 8, it says, At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The, the, The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. 
I mean, uh, I love that part. I, I tried to read this for you. Right? You have Egypt who thinks they're going to win. Right? And even this song, it kind of mocks them. Right? Look at verse 9. The enemy said, and can you see them like mocking the enemy as they sing this song? Right? They're going, you know, the enemy, you know what they were saying? They were thinking, I, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. Oh, but you blew your wind and the sea covered them. All you had to do to win God was, and you completely destroyed them. That's what they're celebrating here. In fact, there's a word here. You'll remember, look at verse 12. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Can you remember the word swallow anywhere else that we've looked at so far in Exodus? We talked about some, some swallowing. Yeah. Oh, when uh, Moses dropped his staff and the serpent swallowed the Yeah, when the serpent from the Aaron's staff swallowed the serpents of the magicians, right? That was God calling his shot right there. And what are they singing? God did exactly what he said he would do. He utterly defeated the Egyptians. And so here is a God who no one can defeat, right? Remember what I said in chapter 14? Pharaoh brought his best shot, his best soldiers, his best weapons. And no matter what he did, with ease, God defeats them. But what, a, what a lesson for us that there's no challenger to compete with him. All resistance to him is futile. This God always wins. And Israel is celebrating that. They're celebrating that this is their God. Now, here's what's happening right now in some of your minds. I see it. I see it. I've been doing student ministry a while. I can, I can speak junior higher. And some of you are wondering, is this okay for us to sing like this? Right? Is this like, I don't know, morally right to sing about God drowning the Egyptians? Some of you might see, like, is there an ethical issue here? A fancy word that's used today is like, isn't this a bit problematic? Right? Is this, is this, is this okay for us to be singing songs like this? Shouldn't we be sad? Shouldn't we think about the poor Egyptians here? Isn't this kind of harsh? I understand. I understand your sentiment. Let me ask you guys a question on that one. Uh, who saw Avengers Endgame? And who was, like, excited for the last Avengers movie? You're pumped for it. Okay, let me just ask you. When Thanos disappears at the end and he loses, did you cry? No? Jerks. So, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, Saruman, when he, he dies, right? everyone cool with it? Did anyone like, anyone shed a tear? You guys, get out of here. No, you didn't, right? You're fine with that, right? When Scar is eaten by his own hyena friends, did any of you go like, oh, what a misunderstood character? It's just, I'd like to see that origin story, you know, and explore that, right? Didn't you feel bad about that? You heartless jerks, why not? Why? Because you love justice. You love when bad people get what they should get. And we live in a society where we are continuously undoing and trying to undo people who do wrong, getting what they deserve. But here's a God, you ready for this? Who actually can execute justice. There is evil in the world that nobody can wipe out, that no person can wipe out, that there are wrongs that nobody can make right. And here is a God who can do that, who will defeat his enemies, who will destroy all those uh, who try to fight him and try to abuse his people. And so again, you blew your wind and the sea 
covered them. You want a God who can defeat injustice. You want a God who can do this. And friends, in the New Testament, we want a God who can do this. I mean, we don't have Pharaoh today, but the Pharaoh of the New Testament is Satan, sin, and death. And what you find is in the New Testament, Christ defeating Satan. Christ defeating sin. Think about 1 Corinthians 15. What does it say about death? Death is what? Death is what in victory? Death is anybody with an S? Does anybody know? Death is swallowed up in victory. That word is used very much on purpose. Because God will deal with Satan's sin and death the very way he dealt with the Egyptians. He will destroy those things that oppress his people. That's a good thing for us. It's also a bit of a warning, friends. It warns us even here who will not follow this king. Take a look on the screen of John chapter 3 verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has. Right now you have it. Eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so, friend, you can either be the one who God will swallow up your enemies, primarily the enemy of sin and death, or you will be the enemy of God who ends up swallowed up. For us, we should adore the God who makes all wrongs right and rejoice that he will at the end win. Let me move to number two. Number two, adore Yahweh the Savior. Adore Yahweh the Savior. Verse two, they do this. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And in all of this, they're again remembering that it's God who saved them, not them who saved themselves. Remember, Israel like went into a panic. Uh, they, they freaked out when Pharaoh showed up. And now what are they singing about? Well, verse 13, verse 13 there of Exodus 15 says, In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. Right? They rejoice that God has, has rescued them, has bought them out of Egypt. Verse 16 says, Until you pass over, O Yahweh, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You see, Israel needed to be saved. Again, chapter 14, verse 8, we read that. They're, they're kind of strutting. They kind of feel good. They, they're like, yeah, we're out of here. And then they see how hopeless they are when the armies show up. And what has to happen? That God delivers them. God saves them. Though they are terrified and hopeless, salvation for Israel, listen, was not a joint effort. It wasn't like God does half and Israel does half. It wasn't like God does 95% and Israel does 5%. It's God did all the work to rescue them. That's the kind of Savior He is, and that's what they're adoring Him for. God, You saved me, though I did absolutely nothing in this. Friends, that's very much the same today. It's the same for us. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 or sorry, chapter 5, verse 6 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were weak, Christ died for us. It wasn't while we had earned it. It wasn't that we had earned salvation. No, salvation is not a partnership. Jesus rescues you. 
probably heard this before, but I think it's helpful. It's not that you're drowning and he throws you a life preserver to pull yourself out. He rescues you when you are drowned in your sin. And then he comes and delivers us. How good it is. See, I just want to say this. Some of you have been a believer for a while. Some of you have been real Christians for a bit. You never outgrow the reality that you needed to be saved. I think sometimes what happens as believers is our hearts grow cold because we begin to think, well, now I know a bit more Bible. Now I know a bit more obedience and I've grown. And so therefore, you know, we start maybe in our own minds, not thinking that we saved ourselves. We start acting as if we've done something. We always need to remain in the spot where you recognize that it was God that did everything. Now, we did nothing to be saved. So what do they adore God for? They adore Yahweh, the Savior. Let's, let's look at number three. Adore Yahweh the faithful. Adore Yahweh the faithful. There's a word here, verse 13, that's used. It's loving kindness. It's a word in Hebrew. It means hesed. It's, it's loyal love. It's devotional love. It, it's not the kind of like dizzy love where you just fall in love with someone passionately for a day because they looked pretty or they finished the song lyric that you knew or something like that. It's, it's a love that remains. It's a love that endures. It's a love that's rooted in promise. I love you not because you're necessarily lovely. I love you because I said I would love you and I was devoted to loving you. And verse 13 says it's his loving kindness that has led him to redeem his people. And because of that, we know what we can expect from God. Listen, because we know God is faithful, we know what to expect from Him in the future. So take a look here. There's some, there's some geography that happens here. So verse 14, we're like, what do we do with just the, the, the inhabitants of Philistia? They're getting nervous. It mentions Edom and Moab and Canaan. And what do we do with this? How should we think of this? Well, remember... Uh, God is going to rescue Israel out of Egypt. He's going to bring them to himself. But where is he also going to bring them? Remember, he's, he made a promise to Israel, not just to get them out, but somebody help me. You don't even have to raise your hand to bring them where? Bring them where? Say it back. Someone had it. What is it? Yeah, to the promised land. Deliver us. If you guys heard the song, to the promised Anyway, uh, deliver us to the promised land, right? That's where they're going. And as they go... Kind of in order, the countries that they're going to run into are Philistia, and then they'll run into Edom, and then they'll run into Moab, and then they eventually get to Canaan, which is the promised land. So there's a geographical order to this song they're singing. They're kind of looking at their to-do list. Now, what do they think is going to happen here? Let me, uh, let me, let me help you here with some like stone theology, some, some truth that rocks, you could even say. Um, that's, these are cheesy puns on the last sermon of camp, but take a look at verse five. Okay. Everyone look at verse five. There we go. Nudge your neighbor. Verse five says the deeps cover them. The Egyptians, they went down into the depths like a stone. And then in verse 10, you blew your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And that lead, by the way, isn't like you know, that little pencil lead uh, that you use, right? That's like a brick of lead. That's what's going on here. So they sank like a stone. You covered them like a rock. And now look at verse 16. What's going to happen to these inhabitants? Well, these, these other nations that are going to try to fight against Israel. It says, terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. 
What is it? What do we do with There's a lot of rocks here. What do we do with all these rocks in this poetry? Here's what we do with it. We know that God is going to deal with the enemies of Israel in the future the same way he's dealt with them in the past. He's going to deal with the enemies of Israel in the future the way he deals with them in the past. And though it might not always be by the Red Sea coming together, it will always be victorious. God's plans will not be overdone. In fact, later they go on to talk about, you know, in verse 16, they're going to talk about passing over into the land. Verse 17, they're going to talk about dwelling with God, which we talked about. That's what God wants to save you for. Verse 18, he talks about the, the, the Lord reigning forever and ever. In other words, what God is doing now, he will continue to do in the future. Student, here's what I want you to. Here's why it's so good that you've learned about the attributes of God this week. Because God's work in the past, His faithfulness in the past, gives you confidence in the present and hope for the future. Because what they're singing about is that what God is doing now, He's always going to do. And so we can rejoice that this is the God who always accomplishes His purposes. That always delivers his people to himself to dwell with them. In fact, you guys, I mean, you know what Revelation 21 is about, right? Revelation 21 is about heaven. What's going to happen there? Take a look. Revelation 21, do I have that one up here? Verse 3, maybe. No, I don't have that one. I'll read it for you. Revelation 21, uh, verse 3 and 4. Oh, it's on my other page. It, it says that there is a, let me help you there. It says that, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. In other words, God is going to, for us, rescue us and bring us to be with him. Finally, number four, adore Yahweh the matchless. Adore Yahweh the matchless. We adore God because there's nothing like him. Listen, the idols that we have today are so unlike God. You know, take the idol for example uh, of the iPhone. Right here. The iPhone as, as an idol. Apple iPhone. You know, if all of us just decided we're going to stop buying Apple products. If the whole world just decided we're going to stop buying Apple products. How long would Apple be around for? Two, two milliseconds. Two milliseconds. Maybe. Right, there you go, right? Like they're just gone, right? If the whole world decided we are not going to follow God, how would that affect God? Not at all. He, continue, he doesn't need us. Apple needs you. Right? That's why they advertise you. Yeah, they, 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 that's why they're coming out. They, they need you. Marvel movies need you. Uh, the, the, everything, every island you have is like, needs you. God doesn't need you. He doesn't. Because he's exalted. There's nothing like him, nothing that compares to him. At the same time, there's, there's nothing in this life that serves you that could ultimately serve you. And yet this is a God who pours out sacrificial love that never runs out. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Friends, there is nobody like God. And the evidence for that, I'll just say, is Exodus 1 through 14. Let's look finally at our third point. We've seen the song. We've looked at the story before the song. Let's look at number three, the lessons. 
the lessons. What should I do with this? And really, what should I do with everything I've learned this week? I'll give you three. Three takeaways. The first is this. To adore. To worship Him. Guys, this is who God is. I mean, this is not just who God is during sermon time. That when you go to pray at night, this is who God is. When you experience great, great joy in life, things go your way. This is who God is. When life gets really hard, and young person, if life isn't hard now, life will get really hard. This is who God is. And how cool is it to know that He never changes. And that we can worship Him because the reasons we're worshiping Him will never change. He always remains as He is. So we worship Him. Here's the second one. Second response lesson is to fear Him. To fear Him. Now when I say fear, I don't mean to be afraid. But take a look. Uh, Let's look at two more verses here. Chapter 14. Take a look at verse... Let's see. 13. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Right. This is when they see the Egyptians come and they're like, we're all going to die. And he says, do not fear. He says, stand by and see the salvation which Yahweh accomplished for you today. And he says, do not fear. And then, but now take a look at verse 31. 31. This is after everything. The Egyptians are dead. Uh, 14 verse 31. When Israel saw the great power which Yahweh had used against the Egyptians, the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh and his servant Moses. So second response is fear. When we say fear, I don't mean to be afraid. I mean this. Have a weighty view of who God is. That you just go, man, this is not a God who's like my buddy, my bestie, my neighbor. This is a God who's Big. And Israel no longer feared Egypt. Why? Not because they just calmed down, because there was a greater fear. There was something that was weightier and bigger than Egypt. Friends, so much of the Christian life has to do with what Proverbs says the fear of Yahweh. Fearing God. By, by seeing him as great and exalted so that whether we're in first period, whether we're at soccer practice or whether we're at home, we just know the weightiness and the bigness of God. Student, this week, if your view of God has increased, can I just tell you why? It's because you've put aside distractions and focused on the Lord. You know, uh, how many of you at summer camp before, like when you're kind of like out in the forest and not in the, the regions of like, you know, Santa Clarita? Uh, have looked up at the stars at night and just seen like, man, the stars are just so bright. I mean, maybe you've been camping with your family like at Yosemite and you're like, man, this is amazing. Look at all the stars. You just kind of feel small and the stars are big. And then, uh, you know, for me, if I were to go down to downtown Los Angeles and were to look up, um, I wouldn't be able to see the stars. Can I ask you a question? Did the stars go away? Did they stop existing? What happened? What happened? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, a lot of light. I can ask you though. Are the lights of Los Angeles brighter than the lights of the stars? Bigger? No, right? But they're blocking my view, aren't they? Isn't that also true of us when it comes to fearing the Lord? Perhaps the reason we don't fear the Lord is because God, maybe it's not because God is small, and He's not. It's that we've allowed other things to block our view. Lesser lights 
have caused the, the grandeur of who God is to disappear. So student, here's the thing. Ready? Be more in this than you are on this. Don't build buildings that will block your view of the stars. You'll fear God by meditating on who he is. Final lesson. Adore the Lord. Fear the Lord. What is it? Also then, believe the Lord. Believe him. Israel did not believe in the Lord at that point. They said, we are going to die. But verse 31 again says, the people feared Yahweh and they believed in Yahweh. That seeing the works of the Lord, not just believing it was true, but belief in God that led to a life of obeying God. Young people, believe the Lord. Believe His promises. Not just in mind, but in action also. Friends, this is who God is. Again, let's go back to John 17, 3, like we said. This is eternal life. Knowing God and knowing His Son, Jesus Christ. Exodus is a book not just about the facts of God. It's that we would know God. And my hope is that this week that you would know Him, that you'd adore Him, that that you would fear Him, and that we'd all believe Him. Let me pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for this this finish to, uh, to Your revelation, Lord. God, You are the God who is always near us. You are the God who is always there. And we're thankful that you are the same God today as you've revealed yourself to be in the book of Exodus. Lord, I pray for these young people. I pray that they wouldn't buy into the lie that says that they need to be a kid and only have a a silly faith in God for now. I, I pray that they would have a deep commitment to you and a belief in you and a weighty view of you because they see who you are. Lord, thank you that you are the God that saves. That you are the God that defeats your enemies. That you are faithful and unchanging. Lord, there is no one like you. May we have that view of you as we walk through our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.